Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And we're back to our old uh, recording ways of three of us in three different rooms, two different states, and I miss you guys. Yeah. All right. Pretty sad. <laughs> yeah. I, I should say I'm going to throw it out off the rip. If the audio quality is a little worse on my end, it's because I left my microphone in Maryland and it's in the oh, mail no. on its way to me. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, um, I think I think it'll be better this week than last week, because as I noted when I sent the email or like the little podcast out, I underestimated some of the audio recording settings and you could hear Jesse and my audio, Eli. It's a, it was a chocolate in the peanut butter situation and uh, we did what we could with it. But uh, yeah, so this week should be a little bit better, I think, regardless of the microphone situation. I do not know the phrase chocolate and the peanut butter. That was a new one. It and was, I saw what? Jesse react to it too. I've never heard it. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't okay. it like a, you got, you got chocolate in my peanut butter. It was like, I think it was like a Reese's cup advertisement thing back, oh. in, the, mm. back in the day. You know. Well, not surprising. I don't know it, but yeah. You don't like Reese's cups. I, I used to love them as a kid, but then I got older and I didn't, but no, just not surprising. Cause advertisements and stuff you know i pay very little attention so you think you think you do but you've been influenced by advertising that, that's unfortunately yes i have so all right well we don't need to get into the psychology of marketing um, yeah. but we can talk about a little orioles baseball and uh i'm happy to report the orioles have won two baseball games in the last week uh we, two in a row even they took a series their first oh eli go ahead you want to say it the orioles are still undefeated in june Boom. We are, we're recording this on uh, Friday, the, or sorry, Thursday, the third. So they're off today, but yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Undefeated in June and Jesse, like you, you informed us yesterday was their first home series win of the season, which is kind of remarkable. It took until June to make that happen. It's completely unbelievable. <laughs> but uh, I mean, you know, I, I guess it is complete. It's just sort of a, an anomaly you know the Orioles are bad and they've been bad at home but the fact they've never been able to win two out of three at home is is odd it's an odd at no thing. point for two months right been through two months of baseball two months of baseball two months of John Means pitching like uh, a Cy Young winner it just didn't work out it, it's just yeah it's it's such a low bar you know I mean <laughs> all all the especially like you know we've played some good teams of course but we've also played some pretty mediocre teams and um i mean this this goes back to that conversation we had a few weeks ago about how bad we've been at home and um that's of course uh the result of it is us just getting our first home win uh home series win and uh it came against a a very very scuffling team right now Right. I mean, you say just previously swept us to be <laughs> right. And that, that's, that's what I was going to say is you say mediocre teams, but the Orioles are the worst team in baseball. So, you know, right. That's how that works out. Typically. Right. So it's so above even, us. E yeah, yeah. Even right. mediocre is pretty good when you're playing the Orioles. <laughs> right. Right. And we should say now we're what we're one game worse than uh, both the Pirates and the Diamondbacks, I think. Or one. We have one fewer win than both of those teams. So, right. yeah, we're neck and neck for that number one pick. So do we have the uh, worst consecutive game losing streak uh, in Major League Baseball right now? Like out of all the teams? Like, like of the season, you mean? Uh, yeah. And I think so. In the season, probably. Yeah, I think, so. I think the Diamondbacks cut it short at 13. Yeah. And I think, I think we had the 14th. 
Right, but was there? I guess there wasn't. My guess is there wasn't, just because you know it's a long. Well, you're asking us this very easily researchable question (laughs) as we start the show, so I have no idea. We don't know. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. Um. But yeah, it was a it was a better week. Two and four. Zero and three got swept by the White Sox in Chicago, and then took two out of three from the Twins at Camden Yards. And that uh, those two wins also snapped a weird 16 game losing streak against the against Minnesota, which. It's just odd. The the Twins have been good. And the one thing I will say about it is the Twins, you know, were La Bomba squad. And they hit balls up in the air. And that is one thing that Orioles pitching over the last couple of years has been really bad about. And the two parks we play in, Target Field and Camden Yards, are both like tin cans that allow fly balls to travel particularly well. So... Yeah. It kind of makes sense. Like that that's the kind of team that would do a lot of damage against us, like them and the Yankees, teams that just hit dingers. Yeah, and and, and they've they've had a bad year this year, but you're right. The past few years they've put some very very good seasons together, uh take away the playoffs, uh but uh some very good regular seasons together. And um yeah, and I you know, I maybe it's just a feeling I have or whatever, but I always feel like you know, these West, these AL West teams, interleague games, AL Central teams that we play. <laughs> no, no, I was I was listing them all together. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, yeah, right. Uh, I, I just feel like we always don't do well against them. So I mean, you just you just listed everybody but our division. Yeah, exactly. Which were so, probably the worst against the AL East, I would imagine. Right. Any so you're just saying yeah. we're generally bad against the entire rest of the league, which yeah, is confirmed right. by having the worst record in the league. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. No, I know. I just I just feel like the twins are I mean, clearly we do struggle against them because we had lost sixteen in a row against them, but they were just one of the teams I felt I, I would never feel comfortable playing against. And um despite uh, me being intrigued by some of the players I have. So and me okay. enjoying to watch them. So well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. No, it's I mean the twins have continuously been a pretty good team. I think like they're one of the franchises. I kind of think of them in the I guess not quite the Cardinals because the Cardinals won World Series, but they're one of those teams that's always in the playoffs. They don't usually go too long without being in the playoffs. Um, so, and the Orioles have not been that way for most of my life. So, yeah, that right. that makes sense. <laughs> and and growing up, they had some really you know, watching Tory Hunter play as a yeah. kid and being kind of the cornerstone in their outfield. I mean, and... they they had some really bad years though, like when the Tigers were surging. Yeah, with, right. With Verlander, that... Scherzer, all that. Miggy Cabrera, Victor Martinez. The Twins were really struggling then. I was, they I was did. thinking about, but that. they had, they had the Mauer Morneau years too. And right. They were really good, but that was yeah. like yeah. mid two thousands, probably. Yeah, that was a little before. Yeah, you're right. But, but then again, it's it's got to be so frustrating just having these good teams when you do have them, and then immediately going out in the playoffs. That is the round, Twins' calling card. Yeah, which I mean, that is. Uh, that that is just so at least they get to the playoffs not true (laughs) i would take it that's that's true that's true just to put it out there it is at 18 consecutive games lost in the playoffs for the twins for the twins yeah that's incredible 18 consecutive games that is that is difficult and they always get matched up against the yankees (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, pretty much (laughs) pretty much they do have rocco baldelli as as their manager now though and i liked him a lot as a player and uh 
yeah, he's the Twins manager now, and he's doing a pretty good job. So I got his autograph. Oh, you we did? Yeah. One year. Yeah. Was he nice? Eh. Like, no. Yeah. Well, I, it, he was like he was trying to leave. It was in the middle of the game, and I went like sprinting out, and I caught him in the <laughs> parking lot. So oh, I would okay. have been upset too. You know, yeah. he signed it, and he was like, "All right, have a good one." But see ya. You, you did a good job, though. That, I mean, that's pretty impressive, Benny. Yeah, I, yeah. Ch- I chased him down. I, chased I, him down. I was just yeah. going to say real quick, uh, you, this is another little aside, but it's kind of funny. So, my, uh, <laughs> at, at, yeah, right. Our <laughs> uncle uh, is and our cousins are big twins fans in Minnesota. They live in Minnesota. And they always used to tell me this story about how when Tampa Bay used to uh, play the twins, um, I remember he had gone to a game. Uh, my uncle had gone to a game and there were some fans in center field yelling and uh, uh, yelling at Rocco Baudelli when Tampa Bay was in just saying like, Rocco, you suck, you know, blah, blah, blah. Just like consistently taunting him kind of all game long. And so it's really, really funny. I think now that uh, Rocco Baudelli then comes and turns out to be the Twins manager, you know, uh, several years later. But I, I'm sure um, Rocco, he probably got that in every stadium he played in. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but that, we heard it as a twin story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's exactly. true. Yeah, it, it was exactly that. My uncle right. was telling me this story about specifically Rocco Baldelli. And the other thing about Rocco Baldelli is he has an amazing name. So just it's a good name out there. Yeah, it's a good name. All right. Now that we got that vital story <laughs> <Yeah>. out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> now that we covered our, our, minutes later. <laughs> our, our, our twins for the week. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And they don't play them in the rest of the year. So we won't have to hear any more twin stories. Uh, thankfully. Right. All right. Well, before we get to Orioles specific, let's talk about sort of the, the, we led, we're not led. We kind of left this as a teaser at the end of last week's episode. Uh, let's talk about uh, major league baseball, cracking down on the use of foreign substances by pitchers on the baseballs. There's actually some new, some new news there that breaking yesterday on Wednesday, Major League Baseball banned four minor league baseball players for use of various banned substances. The story I've got is from ESPN, which I think looks like it was also contributed to by the Associated Press. It looks like it was um, a player in two players in the White Sox system, a player in the Giants system and a player in the Rangers system. And they're saying that the substance they used was some combination of rosin and sunscreen. This kind of tracks back to a couple of weeks ago uh, when Cardinals pitcher Giovanni Gallegos was uh, ordered to switch hats out after Joe West, everybody loves umpire Joe West, not, uh, asked Ugh. him to, to change his hat after he noticed a, a questionable spot on his hat. Uh, Cardinals manager Mike Schilt came out and looked like he was going to offer Gallegos his hat, got tossed because he said the magic words to Joe West. Um, and then Schilt kind of went on a tirade after the game, basically saying the same thing about yeah, sometimes pitchers use sunscreen and rosin mixed together. Is that something worth getting thrown out of? And is it worth? Is it something that really baseball wants to police right now? No. Um, but it looks like they are going to police it. And then something that just happened right before we started recording was Ken Rosenthal from The Athletic tweeted out that Major League Baseball has informed owners this week of severity of issue with pitchers applying foreign substances to baseballs. Enforcement is coming but league will follow a process involving communicating with players and umpires unions, as well as all 30 clubs, whatever that means. But uh, Eli, you had some pretty, you know, 
pretty uh, big opinions about this when we were talking before, but what do you kind of make of this whole situation with, uh, you know, play, pitchers using uh, foreign substances on baseballs? You've got some high-level baseball experience, you know, kind of just give us your thoughts on the whole situation if you could. Yeah, so I, I think where I want to start, um, you know, Schilt, another thing that he had said was like, you know, Gallegos is not somebody who is lighting up the world with just this ridiculous stuff, you know, dominating the league. And, you know, there are kind of clearer instances. And I'm kind of referring to Trevor Bauer. And, you know, I actually respect Trevor Bauer a lot because early on in his career, he he actually like went into the lab in the off season and said, these are my spin rate numbers when I'm not using a foreign substance. And then this is it with me using it. And, you know, at that time he was not, and the MLB did nothing about it, you know? And he actually, I remember when Garrett Cole was on the Astros, he kind of tweeted something. He has this rivalry with Cole. He tweeted something out and he was like, if only there was something in the world that could immediately make your spin rates go up like 300 RPM, you know, clearly just, talking about pine tar, talking about some kind of foreign substance. And, you know, he consistently publicized this. The MLB did nothing about it. And so he said, okay, fine. Stop talking about the issue. Magically, his spin rates go up a couple hundred miles an hour, just like they did in the lab. And he wins an NL Cy Young. You, you know, it's like, it's a situation where I think, you know, he has so blatantly laid the issue out that MLB's hand has been forced a little bit, uh, particularly by his success, particularly by how loud he is and how vocal he is about everything. Um, you know, and I think that uh, I, I credit him with that because he said, okay, if, you know, foreign substances are part of the game we're playing, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to employ it and I'm going to be my best self, you know, in the context of this game. Um, so all that aside, you, you know, to whether I agree with being able to use some sort of foreign substance, you know, we played in Maryland, obviously this is an Orioles podcast, you know, in high school, we started the, you know, the season on March 1st, if I remember right. And you go out there and it's 32 degrees, there's no humidity in the air and you're trying to grip the ball and it's, it's just slick, you know, you have tactile anything. And so as a pitcher, I'm expected to go out there, not really being able to grip the ball and these hitters are like, okay, why don't you go get these batting gloves? And then why don't you have your, your nice like tiger stick? And then you got a nice aerosolized sticky stuff. And then you got the pine tar rag that you can rub on it. And you can do whatever you want to make sure that you have a good grip on that bat, have you know, full, like you're able to manipulate it fully. And the, you know, the pitchers are supposed to just go out there with a bare hand. And then on top of that, you know, MLB is known for this Tennessee River mud that they use to rub up every single baseball. It's from one single river. I'm actually forgetting the name of it now. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, it's this one thing. And so eventually, you know, this, ru this rub, it dries out. You know, the balls do not just stay wet and nice and rubbed up. So you've got this like little chalky substance across all Major League Baseballs that further slickens it. So all in all, you know, I, I think it's kind of obscene to, <laughs> to say like, there's no way that a pitcher can do anything to get a better grip on the ball. That being said, you know, if, if like Trevor Bauer, like Garrett Cole, 
you know, if these guys are going into the lab and having stuff concocted to do X, Y, Z and, you know, improve their grip on the ball by 13 extra percent, you know, over a sun, sunscreen and rosin type deal, you know, then you need to do something to police it to a certain extent. But uh, as a whole, you know, this has been a part of the game forever, you know, literally as long as the game, you know, I should say hitters used to be able to request where they wanted the pitch in like the 1860s. <laughs> so since that point, this has been a part of the jurors. We're doing what they could to level the playing field, gain an advantage, et cetera, et cetera. And I stand by that. It's interesting. You mentioned Garrett Cole because Cole pitched yesterday and I'm sure that the teams were given this information before Ken Rosenthal was, and I'm sure it was said, said in the clubhouse or whatever, Cole pitched yesterday, went five innings, but allowed five runs on five hits, two walks, seven strikeouts. I believe his RPM on his fastball was down about 250. So, you know, I don't know if there's nothing there. Maybe he just wasn't having a good day, didn't have a good good warm-up in the bullpen. But um, I'm sure you'll start to see similar stuff to this. Um, but, Jesse, I don't know if you have any thoughts on it or, you know, what's going on with this. Should it be policed? Is it a big deal? You know, what's your general take on this whole situation? Yeah, so a couple of reactions to Eli's point. So the first the first distinction I want to point out uh, about the you said the hitter gets to wear batting gloves uh, and be cozy and comfortable and get up there with the bat. And I definitely understand that. And it's difficult for a pitcher. Um, I guess my general reaction to that specific point, though, is that uh nothing yes the the batter does get a better grip on the bat but it's not like the bat is able to come faster through the zone i guess they wear donuts on uh they use donuts when they're on deck and that speeds up their bat speed or whatever but a, a pitcher actually can influence the movement uh and stuff like that of the pitch right which i, I think I mean, but, is but an important distinction to point out but like i mean if if the bat slips in your hands a little bit if you have less of a grip on it you know if you, you, you know like if that bat is able to slide and you catch it off the end a little bit more maybe your grip is a little less rigid you get through it a little bit less and you know a right. bloop into the outfield becomes a line out to the second baseman you, right, you know right. like it to, to say that it's I, I mean it's definitely having an impact on the outcome when oh, a hitter yeah. makes contact and i mean the path from you know like your batting stance to like the point of contact with the ball, everything in there with how you're pulling on the bat, twisting your hands, rolling them over as you make contact, all of that is influenced by the grip you have on the bat. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I I guess I was kind of thinking about it a a little differently, Um, but uh, point taken. Um, The thing I would, the, the, the other big point that stands out and Eli kind of touched on this a little bit is there definitely is something wrong with major league baseball and how it just in general conducts business. Um, Absolutely. And, and the the big point about this is uh, one uh, rather than being proactive about any sort of issue that arises in major league baseball, major league baseball is incredibly reactive to problems and issues that emerge um so that's that's the first thing uh the second thing and and most notably of course 
uh, you look about you look at the steroid era in baseball, and uh, Major League Baseball was incredibly reactive. Uh, players ended up having their careers destroyed. Uh, okay, yes, you could say that the players made a bad choice or did a bad thing or whatever. But ultimately, it was Major League Baseball who was looking away from the steroid issue in its entirety because they were excited about the more home runs and the increased revenue that Major League Baseball was getting from the excitement of Barry Bonds hitting 74 home runs and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and all of them hitting home runs. Um, it was very profitable for Major League Baseball. So instead of uh, correcting the issue, they just looked the other way and didn't allow anything to, to happen. So, um, I, you know, I don't know if the same monetary incentive uh, is there for uh, this sort of issue and whether that has any sort of role in why uh, Major League Baseball isn't uh, being more proactive about this. It is possible. I mean, there is a lot of buzz about these incredible starting pitchers, Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer, and maybe because they are performing so well and there is so much buzz and electricity about them and because they throw the ball hundred miles an hour, et cetera, they just kind of want to look the other way and let these pitchers just do whatever they want to do and get more and rack up strikeouts, et cetera, et cetera. So that definitely is possible. Um, Jess, you cut out. I can't, I can't see him. He's not moving. Oh, God. <laughs> oh my God. And he's calling me now. Hello. Hey, hey. Something just happened with my Wi-Fi. Oh, no. Yeah. I was just, like, over here rambling, and then, like, you yeah. guys had no reaction, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd think that's just a normal episode. The mic can pick you up. Let's just do the podcast this way, where you just <laughs> talk into my microphone. <laughs> So you're back. Do you yeah, want to sorry pick it up? about that. <laughs> want to pick it up where you left things? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, so I, I was just talking about how I, I don't know if financial incentives for Major League Baseball are a part of it. Uh, there is a lot of buzz right now about all these pitchers like Cole, like Bauer, that are throwing 100 miles an hour and racking up strikeouts left and right. So that definitely could be a part of it. But there's also um, part of it that I, I think is just baseball. It's easier to look the other way and to, to not sort of address these issues, to not just to pretend that these issues aren't happening like they did with the Astros when they were cheating. There were players who knew that this was happening and Major League Baseball just refused to do anything about it until they the fans literally pressured them into doing something about it. So, um, yeah, th the thing I would say, uh, I, I don't, I don't know exactly what, uh, necessarily the regulate, the exact regulation should be, how enforcement with this kind of thing is always kind of tricky because, um, first of all, normally, uh, if, 
uh, somebody suspects pine tar or something like that on uh, a pitcher, normally the manager has to come out and ask the umpire to go investigate. And that kind of is a, a sticky situation for managers to do sometimes. Because... Is that a pun, Jesse? A sticky situation? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about it like that, but yes. Uh, but it, it's, it's a tough situation for managers to be in because then other managers have a problem with that. That's how you get one of your hitters thrown at sometimes because they didn't like how, you know, and, and so much of it is happening that uh, is not enforced. So then when a manager comes out and requests a, a pitcher to be checked, then there, there's there a whole lot of uh, political implications sort of to that happening. So it's kind of, it's it's a really big deal. And um, so the enforcement with these kinds of things has always been very hit and miss, very uh, suspect and stuff like that. Um, a lot has gone under the radar uh, and has not been has not been observed, has not been uh, properly uh, patrolled or whatever. Um but uh, yeah, so I so I don't I don't know exactly what Major League Baseball should do, but I do feel like the important thing is that it, as much as possible, Major League Baseball tries to keep it fair and tries to have a consistent standard where nobody is playing at real substantial disadvantages. And in the steroid era, that's what was that's what was happening. I mean people's entire careers are made and broken sometimes with some of this stuff. And that, that should not happen. Right. Um, it should be a level playing field relatively. People should be on equal footing. Everybody should know what the rules are and major league baseball shouldn't be enforcing the rules fairly, whether it's Trevor Bauer on the mound or whether it's these minor leaguers that are on the mound it should be enforced evenly across the board, not, uh, well, you're a star, so we don't want to pick on you and you're gonna, you're gonna embarrass us if we, uh, call you out. So you're kind of untouchable and we're going to let you do whatever you want. Nothing like that should be happening, of course. Yeah. So the one thing I wanted to point out, you talked about financial incentives in 2016 and 2017, the league average for batting average was 255. This year it's down at 236. So, I think this is entirely about financials. I think the MLB does not like the way that the league is going, you know, where pitchers are becoming more dominant. It makes the game quieter and kind of less exciting. You know, me personally, as a pitcher, I love seeing dudes blow a hundred past all these little dinky hitters that have, you know, <laughs> no capability to handle it. But I, that that's what I look at. And that's what I see. I see that league averages are, down this year, you know, the Mariners a couple of weeks ago were hitting below 200 a full month into the season. And I think that's the problem that MLB has. I don't think the MLB has a problem with people throwing 100. I don't think the MLB has a problem with people throwing wipeout breaking balls, but they have a problem with hitters not being able to catch up with it. And the combination of these substances, plus all the analysis into spin rates, spin axes, et cetera, et cetera, I think it's becoming too overwhelming for hitters. I mean, not entirely, because you still have 480-foot bombs every once in a while, but I think the MLB wants that to come back towards the 250 range or so. Well, yeah, so it's kind of interesting because there's now so many um, 
variables at play because baseball, Major League Baseball has messed with the actual baseball itself over the last several years. So who knows what impact that is there. There's right. different substances that people use on the ball. There's So there's a variable there. And then there's also that players have kind of figured stuff out. Pitchers have figured the game out a little bit. Right. That's why baseball is now thinking about moving the mound back because it's like, well, we know these dudes can all pretty much throw 95 to 100 miles per hour. Like it's so obvious that that – or not obvious. It's so uh, common place to have like 10 guys on one roster that throw 95 to 100 miles an hour that baseball is now thinking we got to move the, the rubber back. So this is like the one – I guess they view it as a – tiny thing they can enforce to say you've got rosin that's all you can use if you don't use just rosin we're going to suspend you or whatever it's going to be but i don't know there's too many variables here to say that's that's the exact reason that strikeouts are are so high or whatever i think just the the era we're in of baseball players have figured as a hitter home runs make me money and as a pitcher throwing really hard and striking guys out makes me money so that's what i'm gonna do um so, yeah, I, I think baseball's kind of painted itself into a corner here a little bit. And I don't think that doing this is going to get them the result that they want necessarily because players will still find a way to, to get around the rules somehow, some way. And in addition, in addition to that point, right, it's not only that players are trying to do this. It's also who's being accelerated through the farm systems, who's being elevated. Guys that are throwing really, really hard are advancing in the systems. Uh, coaches uh, are trying to get players to be able to add velocity, right? So it, it's a whole combination of factors uh, combined with uh, you know, the individuals trying to sort of uh, suit their game towards this, this sort of style. Uh, the, the one other thing I would say uh, to your earlier point, Eli, you made a point about how uh, pitchers have to try to grip the ball uh, in really bad weather conditions, whether it be really cold, whether it be rain or whatever. The only other thing I would say to that is, you know, baseball is not really meant to be played in those sorts of weather conditions. So I feel like, of course, so, so, sometimes oh. that is like bound to happen. And especially in October. Um, uh, okay. But it, just, it, it, no, it's, it's not just about cold though. I mean, it's like, if you're in Colorado and you're a mile up, the air is thinner and it's drier. I mean, just it being dry. That's what right. I was saying with the mud that gets rubbed over the balls. Like, it's dry, you, you know, like you can have a bad grip, even if it's 85 degrees outside. Right. That's true. So what about if like, you know, like Jesse, you were kind of saying, even the playing field, what if baseball was able to concoct something beyond rosin that was like, all right, here's the standard putty that play that pitchers are allowed to put on their gloves, on their hats or whatever. And that's what you can use. And that's fine. Hitters are cool with it. Pitchers are cool with it. You can't use anything else. Would, would that solve any kind of an issue? I, I don't know if it would solve it. I mean, I always think it's kind of the nature of the game that people are going to be trying to push the limits, right? Right. I, I don't think th this putty gets made and then uh, <laughs> people aren't going to be doing anything and everyone's just going to accept the rules. Nobody ever really fully accepts the rules, right? So, um, I mean, but I, in terms of I would be, I would be, happy with that as a solution for the most part that would be fine with me i just I, I think the questions about uh this situation wouldn't just end yeah that's fair 
so on top of just another quick note on top of the batting averages going down strikeouts per nine has gone up every single year since 2005 yeah and it's gone up over two and a half strikeouts per nine innings yeah right and, and i doubt that the percentage of pitchers using foreign substances has gone up at the same rate i would imagine that's probably pretty consistent right i mean i'm I, guessing there but yeah, everyone does it I, I can tell you right now, everyone does it. Like people were like, oh my God, John Means has been touching. Yeah, he touches <laughs> the inside of his glove. He does it every time. That's why he does the little, he takes the ball, tosses it in a couple of times and then touches the like inside of the thumb. Like I don't hold that against John Means because everybody in the league has some kind of substance somewhere. If it's the sunscreen on their arm that mixes with the rosin bag, if it's something on the inside of their glove, if it's something on top of their hat, it's every pitcher in the league. Right. So that's, that's why yeah. suspending players is a slippery slope. They right. something else has to be done. I don't know what else, but uh, maybe they don't have rosin on the mound anymore. I don't know. You can't let you can't not let the players wear sunscreen. Like that's right. not a logical solution. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the John Means angle is kind of what made it Orioles related. So something to that, that seems to be emerging. And I would imagine by next week, we'll have even more information. And, and as more information comes in, we'll discuss it. Uh, absolutely. Um, all right, let, let's talk Orioles specific stuff. We got just a couple things here because, you know, it was an okay week, not not a great week. But sort of the, the big thing, uh, the big thing on the major league scene this past week was that the catching situation has been shook up a little bit. Uh, Chance Cisco has been demoted and Austin Wins has been promoted and now has kind of been splitting time with uh, Pedro Severino behind the plate. Uh, is this kind of the solution? Are, are we happy with this solution? Eli, you were very vocal last week. Are you happy with this outcome? <laughs> yeah, no, I think this is the right move. Wins have been a good job. He was hitting, you know, like we said, he was hitting over 320 uh, down AAA. He's always been known as a glove first guy. And I think just with the young pitching staff, there is nothing more important than having some stability behind the plate. Um, and we were joking about it before the podcast, but if anyone saw a game, uh, I think it was two nights ago, Jim Palmer was asking if they'd gotten Pedro Severino's eyes checked. You know, it's, it's at the point where it is just like so difficult to watch. He just outright drops balls. And <laughs> I don't know, we were going back and forth on whether – that was a real question posed by Jim Palmer or whether he just was making a joke about it because, you, you know, nobody really can, nobody really just stops catching the ball, you, you know, it, and this was Jesse's point. Jesse was on the fence or on the side of that. Jim Palmer was actually questioning if they'd gotten his eyes checked because it's so rare to see somebody who just loses the ability to catch the baseball. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a rough thing to say because he probably catches 125 out of 130 pitches in the game or 145 out of 150 pitches in the game. But still, you know, like it just seeing him drop the ball is so baffling. And somehow through all that, Chancisco was still the worst option. <laughs> so <laughs> we still got rid of him. I don't know. Something had to change though. I guess my, my main point was not that I thought – Palmer had not checked the eye or that the Orioles had not checked the eyes. I think my, my main point and what I was trying to say was that the eyesight could actually be a real explanation for why we're seeing the problem with Severino yeah, that for sure. we are. 
Um, my, my th- yes, I, this is the right move. I, I agree. Um, there, there's really getting rid of Severino was never an option for the Orioles. I don't think he was, uh, despite how bad he's been behind the plate, I don't think he was ever, especially, I mean, if anything, Chance Cisco was Pedro Severino's firewall. Okay. So before Severino was going to leave, uh, Cisco was going to leave. So, okay. Maybe now Severino's in a little more danger because his firewall is, is not there anymore. Uh, but, uh, Cisco was always going to be the move rather than Severino. Um, but I, I don't think uh, Severino is in real uh, danger of, of uh, not being on the major league team. I do think uh, his playing time is in danger. Yeah, and uh, if he does continue to struggle defensively as much as he does, I can see wins uh, maybe, maybe not catching twice a week anymore, but splitting time 50-50 with him or something like that. Um, I, I think that actually at this point is a, is a uh, possible scenario. Um, I don't think Severino is, is really going to back wins up exactly, but I can definitely see them uh, splitting time 50-50 or you know, 60-40 kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, but yes, this is the right move. D, uh, wins is a more defensive-minded catcher, uh, which uh, is – exactly what I was saying last week. Uh, most teams need to complement uh, an offensive minded catcher with a defensive minded catcher. So I think this is the move. This makes sense. Uh, I mean, the one downside to this, I guess uh, is wins is more or less a veteran. So um, it's not like he's uh, he's not, the catcher of the future he's not no. gonna back up nobody uh, on this team is though yeah. right right he's not gonna back up adley once he's up here uh at any point or anything like that so i mean uh, I, I don't know about that I, could he back up adley rutschman at some point sure I, I don't think that's like totally unrealistic that austin wins could be adley rutschman's backup for a season or two i mean i think that's realistic you don't I, think that's I mean possible? I, no, I mean, yeah, sure. It's possible. I just don't think, I think the Orioles catching situation will be different enough by then where they'll have moved on from Austin wins. I, th- I think somebody else, whether in the system or, you know, whether we sign a free agent temporarily, something like that. I don't think by the time Adley's here wins is really going to be in the picture anymore, but I, is he competent? Is he right. competent enough to back him up? Sure. Yeah, I mean, no. We, Either yeah. way, what does it matter? I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's we we all kind of know which way the wind is blowing at the catcher position in Baltimore beyond twenty twenty one. It's it's Adley Rutschman's job, and everybody else is competing for the backup spot. But yeah, we'll see what Austin Wins can do. He's thirty years old, like you said, not a spring chicken. Uh, he's fine. Has never really been able to hit consistently and has been really more okay defensively than a stalwart back there. So, you know, it's all about surviving this next year and a little bit until Rutschman's ready to play in Baltimore, to be honest. That's Until we get him past Super 2 status next June. Exactly, exactly. And we should – Huh? Go ahead. I, I was just going to say that's really what it is, is the Orioles have to figure out the catching situation until Adley is ready to take over. 
And right. that's really, it's it's a very short-term solution that the Orioles need at this point. Yeah. And we should mention uh, the move to make room for Austin wins on the 40-man roster uh, is that Richie Martin was moved to the 60-day injured list. So nobody's gone from the organization. Just Martin's going to be on the shelf a little bit longer, which is uh, disappointing. You know, he was competing sort of for a, um, a utility man position in the spring. It didn't happen. And now his odds of getting to the big leagues at some point this year, I'd imagine, are pretty remote. Um, we'll pause no you're good Uh, i can edit that pretty easy um okay let's move on to some other minor league action grayson rodriguez the orioles top pitching prospect and one of the top right-handed pitching prospects in all of major league baseball all of baseball uh was promoted to double a buoy this week and made his first start and went five innings got the win uh four hits one run which was earned two walks and eight strikeouts. Uh, Eli, you were pretty excited about it just a second ago. What are your thoughts on Rodriguez's double A debut? I would encourage anyone and everyone to check out the video that we retweeted of a couple of his strikeouts. The dude is just dominant. He sat 97, 99. He touched a hundred. He just looks dominant. Uh, If you go through like like some of the highlights from previous outings, one of the things, that really got me going was he was facing a lefty and if I remember right it was Ronnie Mauricio who is a very very talented prospect in his own right but he threw and Mauricio's hitting lefty he threw a front door changeup. and for those who don't know front door is a pitch that starts at the batter and comes back into the zone and so in order to do that to a lefty He's got to, you know, be throwing the ball sort of across his body, but still get enough action on it to have it cut back the other way. Kind of um, like a screwball. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, you know, they've been talking about his changeup as kind of really becoming, pun not intended, a game changer for him. And to see that pitch, you know, it, it might not have even been really where he wanted to execute it. It's not, you know, you don't throw changeups down and into lefties. Lefties love down and in pitches. But to see that, you know, something where a pitch just purely based on this absurd amount of movement, you know, stuff alone can freeze a really, really talented hitter. And then, you know, he can still come. He's got the good breaking ball. He's got two good breaking balls. I'm sorry. He's got the little bit slower, bigger curve, the harder slider. And then he comes with hundred miles an hour at the top of the zone. I think there's just so much to be excited about. And, you know, he just, kept rolling you know he he threw five innings he struck out eight guys in his first time ever pitching at double a he's only 21 years old he's younger than the average player in double a i think there is just so much to be excited about and i'm here for it yeah no i mean it's further evidence that the orioles kind of know what they're doing with developing pitching prospects you know kudos (laughs) buddy come on all right let me start that again uh yeah, Rodriguez is further evidence that the Orioles seem to know what they're doing with pitching prospects. You know, kudos to the Dan Duquette front office for drafting Rodriguez. They drafted him a little higher than a lot of boards had him. Was some criticism for the pick. Uh, and, you know, haven't re- didn't really do too much of the development, but Elias has kind of taken the baton and turned it up a notch. Jesse, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Rodriguez or sort of maybe what you think his timeline might be for getting to Baltimore because uh, I'm getting a little antsy over here. Yeah, um, I, I think it's it's still du- 
to be determined uh, exactly how quickly uh, he could arrive in Baltimore. I think it is quicker than probably people were thinking. Uh, and I, I don't think this year uh, it's going to happen. I disagree. Um, you disagree. Yeah. Wow. I think he's a September call up just oh, for wow. a little bit in the bullpen. But I mean, th- this will be like a full year at double A and the elite prospects usually don't spend that much time at triple A. Hmm. Um, Got to be yeah. added to the 40 man. That is true. Which is a but hurdle. I think we'll be pretty ready to get rid of some of these people towards the end of the oh, year. <laughs> you'd rather have Grayson Rodriguez than, uh, I don't know. I can't even think of, they're all uh, bad. So I can't even, any of them, Matt Harvey. Can, yeah. Enter <laughs> half of the Orioles roster into the end of Tyler's sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I, yeah. I mean, my main point about this though, kind of like you were saying, Tyler is yes, it is definitely evidence that our minor league system is doing a really good job. Uh, Grayson uh, Rodriguez was drafted out of high school. Uh, of course he was throwing in the high nineties when he was drafted. Um, it's, no, he oh, he wasn't. I think no. he touched like 97, but he sat like yeah. mid, not mid. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He was like a 93, 95 guy. Uh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Uh, let me just start that over. Yeah. So, um, so uh, Rodriguez was drafted out of high school. Uh, we knew that uh, he had the potential. Uh, well, let me, how do I want to say this? I don't know. I mean, you can just talk about him being a high school pitcher, and you know, yeah. high school pitchers tend to be pretty projectable. Right. Um. Yeah, so when uh, Rodriguez was uh, – let me just start all over. <laughs> You're good. Yeah. Evidence that they're doing yeah, well right, in the Yeah, right, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, to Tyler's point, uh, it's – like he was saying, it's definitely evidence that the Orioles minor league system is doing a really good job moving these guys along – Uh, He was drafted out of high school um, and everybody knew that he had a lot of potential, had a lot of ability uh, in high school um, or coming out of high school. Um, I guess the thing uh, for me is that when he is uh, the fact that they took a pick who is a little bit riskier and this seems to be panning out, and he seems to be moving through the system. Um, that's and, a and really... no injuries too, which has been right. huge. Exactly, and that's the other thing I was going to say is that this is a guy who throws incredibly hard right now, and uh, the fact that right he hasn't been injured yet, the fact that this uh, that this has not been um, even uh, a topic of conversation really has is a really, really encouraging thing. Um, I guess the one thing I would want to, I do worry a little bit. Uh, I mean, him throwing hard is a really good thing. He is just throwing really, really hard at a really young age. And I, I wonder if the Orioles at some point want to dial him back a little bit. Not everybody has a Justin Verlander type arm who can throw 97, 98 uh, for 15, 18 years in their career. Uh, but obviously uh, the stuff is electric. Uh, there's a ton to be excited about. Um, 
just hope he stays healthy. Uh, that's really uh, the big concern just for me, just because he does throw so hard. And sometimes some of these pitchers throw, you know, too hard for their own good sometimes. But um, well, no, kinda... it, at, at this point, it's all been positive for him. To that effect, Jess, I, I mean, one thing that I have distinctly noticed is both with D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez, and for that matter, a lo- like pretty much every starting pitcher on the A Bowie roster, they are not going more than five innings. Um, yeah. The Orioles have been absolutely adamant in keeping outings short. I think that's particularly with that concern about health in mind. Um, they're letting these bodies mature by extending them over like i think it's going to be keeping them throwing over the course of the season rather than extended outings you know i haven't really seen anybody touch even 80 pitches really um and i think it's for the exact reason you know these are still young bodies developing seriously good stuff putting incredible amounts of torque on their shoulders their elbows and yeah i think that uh the orioles are being extremely careful about it which i like to see personally Absolutely. You got to take care of the young pitchers because those are perhaps the most important asset in all of uh, professional baseball. Something I wanted to add about not Rodriguez in particular, but the other pitcher that pitched for the Bay Sox in that game yesterday was Kevin Smith, who threw four scoreless innings and arguably pitched better than Grayson Rodriguez did. (laughs) I think he struck out seven guys in four innings. Now his ERA is under one this year at double A. He's a new new player. Uh, relatively in the Orioles system. They got him from the Mets for Miguel Castro. So not a hard thrower, not going to light up the scoreboard the way Rodriguez does, but still another like top 20-ish prospect in the O system to keep an eye on. And uh, yeah, if you want to see pitching, go watch the Bowie Bay Sox. If you want to see hitting, um, go check out the Delmarva Shorebirds pretty much. is. A, I got to say, it, it's got to be absolutely miserable to be a double A team and you see 100 coming up from someone who's six foot five on one side in Grayson Rodriguez. And then you have Kevin Smith, who I think is like six six, six seven. Yeah. And he's this super lanky, super long, and like more of a three quarter slot at like ninety degrees from the left or ninety miles an hour from the left side. It's just gotta just absolutely mess with you. <laughs> oh yeah. It's it's insane. It, it, yeah. They're they're stacked and then Dia Hall's on that staff too, obviously. Um, and Bradish was earlier now up to triple A. But um one other guy on the Bay Sox roster we want to touch on, you know, there's tons of guys in the Orioles system that are, are playing really well right now. And we're going to try to touch on a couple of them each week when we can. Um, Joey Ortiz is up with double a buoy. He just got promoted early, earlier this week. And uh, Eli, you know, Joey relatively well, you used to play with him. Do you kind of want to give, I know we've talked about this on the show before, but yeah, sure. you know, and it's been a couple of years since you played with him, but do you kind of want to give a rundown on Joey because he might be a guy that people have sort of forgotten about. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, So Joey, like, you know, he was obviously a phenomenal collegiate league player, but getting drafted, he was really known for his glove. And when I played with him, he split time at second and short. I was a pitcher, so I absolutely loved having him up the middle. Um, He's a really, really talented glove. And people kind of question the bat. So for context, he was taken in the fourth round in 2019 was what it was yeah fourth round in 2019 um and people kind of questioned the bet he had gone to a school in new mexico state which was in a pretty hitter friendly conference um they thought his numbers were kind of inflated from that he you know obviously didn't have too much of a 2019 season then last year was what it was and he's come out and you know he was at high a and he had like he was 
hitting with a 135 wins created plus, you know, hitting the ball extremely well, gets bumped up to Bowie. He hits a first or hits a home run in his first at bat and just continues to be hitting the ball really well. He's five for 14. Um, Jesse and I, while I was home, actually tried to go and see his debut with Bowie, but it got rained out. It was going to be Joey playing. It was going to be DL Hall on the bump. It was going to be Adley Rushman behind the dish. And hmm. I had a flight that night and it got rained out. So I didn't we get actually, to see any of it. When we had the tickets, we actually didn't know Joey had been promoted yet. But then like on our way there, you know, we found right. out he got promoted that day. So it was pretty cool. It, I, it, I texted him and I told him I was really mad that they didn't play and he apologized, but <laughs> Well, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, he's the guy that they were talking up in, in preseason a little bit, saying, like, yeah, the glove's still good, but he's he's taking some strides with the bat, which is huge. And kind of a funny – Not I noticed it on Twitter. Kyle Bradish was, like, retweeting a bunch of stuff about Joey Ortiz. Uh, Ortiz and him went to college at the same time. Bradish is two years older than Ortiz, but got drafted just one year ahead of him. So, like, there's a guy – two guys within the system played at the same college, and Bradish was, like, elite defender, like, like you were saying. Having him play behind you in the field is – is huge for a pitcher's confidence. Um, Jesse, I don't know if you have any other, any thoughts on, on Joey Ortiz. He's, he's a shortstop, which is a position the Orioles have really, you know, filled up on in recent drafts. So, you know, what are your thoughts on Ortiz maybe as, as relative to the rest of the guys at the position? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously uh, we're, we're all very excited for him. Um, the, yeah, I mean, the, the only real question about his game is his bat, right? Because, uh, I, I think there are very few questions about him defensively and having watched him play, uh, you know, from college, uh, he was clearly uh, the best other than major leaguers, other than watching Robinson Cano play second base. Right. Uh, he, he was uh, definitely the best uh, player I'd ever seen play. Uh, with his hands, right? He had the best hands that I'd never seen. That's a better way to say that. Um, so, uh, yeah, and and he was definitely a, a good hitter, a really good contact hitter and stuff. Um, and but yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like he's he's gotten bigger. He's bulked up. Um, he uh, you know had the bomb, uh, which he was in college. He was like more of a doubles hitter uh, and that kind of thing. I think he set the record for doubles at his at his school. I'm not positive of that. I but, um, that, yeah. yeah, but I'm I might I'll be mistaken. Throw a random sentence out there. Hopefully yeah, it's right. <laughs> no, I I think I, I feel like it's true, but I'm not right, I can't remember. Yeah, but um <laughs> but yeah, um I but yeah, I mean the only the only real question about his game is his bat, and it seems like he's answering that question. And he he is still young, he's still uh, even if he doesn't get called up this year or next year to the majors, he he has uh, a a lot of opportunity in the next several several years to somehow break into the major league team. So um, he he's doing really well. Uh, he's probably further along than people would have thought he would be at this point. Uh, being in Double A right now is a a big accomplishment for him. Yeah, he's uh, only twenty two. I'll just right. throw that out there. Only 22. Right. So, um, yeah, no, he's he's doing very well. Yeah, I mean, he would be the guy that's kind of like the next shortstop in the organizational depth chart. I guess Mason McCoy at AAA is 
is up there, but Joey is more of a legitimate prospect. So it could be sooner rather than later that we see him. And uh, he'll, he'll be battling with like Gunnar Henderson, uh, Jordan Westbrook, some big names in the system, but defensively, if he can do it, that's, he's going to get shortstop and they'll figure out where to put the bats of Westbrook and Henderson somewhere else. Sure. So yeah, yeah, that's huge. Um, all right. One guy who left the organization this week is Josh Rogers left-handed pitcher. The Orioles got him in the Zach Britton deal a couple of years ago. He has pitched in the major leagues a bit. I uh, had, I think Tommy John surgery in the last couple of years and then was uh, removed from the 40 man roster this past off season. He's been released. Um, I don't know if you guys have any general thoughts about Rogers, maybe as a player or, or more generally, maybe just, you know, sort of, I, I sort of thought of it as, the results and the fallout kind of from that last uh, flurry of Duquette moves. And I guess that was 2018. Um, Jesse, I don't know if you have any, any parting thoughts about Josh Rogers exiting the organization. Um, I, it's not a surprise. Uh, Josh Rogers was competing for a starting rotation spot uh, a couple years ago uh, for us. Uh, I forget exactly what year that was, but there was discussion of him being the, the five starter uh, being the soft throwing lefty uh, that uh, that he was. And uh, I mean, he's definitely fallen off the radar of the Orioles. The fact that he was not even in the discussion for this starting rotation, uh, let alone the bullpen uh, this year. Uh, I mean, if you're not competing for a starting spot in our rotation this year, then you're at a point where um yeah, I mean, you're probably not going to make the major league team. You're not going to make the Orioles. And and he'd really been struggling. So this this should not really come as any surprise. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough uh, situation. The Orioles don't have a ton of good pitching, but they have a ton of arms sort of at that high, that quadruple A sort of level. And Rob... <laughs> It's okay, little guy. Let me start that over again. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's a tough situation. You know, the Orioles don't have a ton of quality pitching sort of ready for the major leagues at the moment, but they do have a bunch of guys that sort of fit that quadruple A mold of could pitch in the bigs in a pinch, you know, probably fits better at triple A. And, and Rogers is sort of in that, that group there while also battling some, some arm trouble and not big velocity to start with. So it's possible when he came back from it, the velocity might've just not been there. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate. Hopefully he can build his way back. He's still just 27. So there could still be some innings in that, in that arm, but I don't know, Eli, if you have anything to add there. Yeah, honestly, not all too much. I I think, uh, I think the more interesting aspect was like you talked about, you know, just kind of what he represented. He came back as part of that Britain trade. Um, And, you know, Dylan Tate, I think for all intents and purposes has turned out pretty well. Um, he's given us a, a pretty legitimate bullpen arm, he, pretty cheap. I think he's got another three years of control left. So, uh, you know, it's just kind of the mark that that final, as you said, flurry of trades has left on the Orioles. We're still kind of evaluating that um, and seeing one of the returns for, you know, who was arguably the best relief pitcher in the history of the Orioles, uh, seeing one of them just kind of go quietly into the darkness is a little bit disappointing, but um, like I said, you know, we got Dylan Tate out of that trade as well. He's pretty solid. uh, So you can't complain too much. Yeah. Cody Carroll is the other one and he's been a bit of a disappointment too, but he's still in the organization. So always, always a chance that turns around. Um, 
Okay. Well, that that's all the topics there. We did want to do a silver lining segment of the of the week. Jesse, you you picked the silver lining this week. Do you kind of want to explain who it is and take the viewer or the listeners through that? Sure. Um, yeah. So the Orioles went two and four this week. So you could even argue that that was the silver lining because we had lost so many games in a row. So two going two and four was a good thing, but uh, no, but uh, overall the subpar under 500 week uh, deserves a silver lining segment. And uh, this week it is Ryan Mountcastle. Um, I think most uh, of our listeners are familiar with uh, his early season struggles uh, he was the cleanup hitter kind of at the beginning of the year, uh, hitting top half of the order. And uh, he's been shuffled around and moved around to kind of alleviate some of the pressure uh, because he was really struggling with the bat. Um, but in the past seven games, uh, he has kind of turned it around, uh, at least at the plate. Uh, uh, he's hit 292. Uh, he's gone seven for 24. Uh, he has a, uh, an OPS of 987 and he's hit two home runs. And uh, one of them against the Twins was a, a pretty big one. So we were winning, but it definitely gave us some insurance. So, And uh, it led Rob Refsnyder to almost knock himself out. Yes. So that was fun. Yes. And the, the Orioles ground screw the next day had right. <laughs> a outline on him. the wall. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. No, Ryan Mountcastle is a good pick. I, I like that, Jess. Good pick. Cool. Good. Yeah. <laughs> good. Good feedback. No, he's yeah. <laughs> he's struggled a lot this year, and I he's a guy that the Orioles need to get going if they're going to have any hope of having some sort of an offense this year. So, uh, yeah, I like it. The kind of interesting thing that I've noticed about him, and you know, this may be by design, but I've been noticing that his power this year has not been as much pull side as it was last year. Mm. Um, he's been much more like, you know, the home runs that you see going out are predominantly to right center, center field. Definitely. And uh, it, it, the, the most recent home run he hit was a fastball kind of, it, it was more inner third, which, you know, you expect somebody with good hands. And if it's going to be a home run inner third, you expect it to get pulled a little bit. And he managed to it was slightly to left center of center field, but uh, yeah, managed to keep it up the middle, which means he's really focusing on staying inside the ball, pulling his hands in um, and working to the opposite field, which I'm not against, you know, he's probably taken some lessons from Trey Mancini. Uh, that is how boom, boom works. He, you know, stays inside the ball. He has incredible, you know, center field, right center power. Um, so Good to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, another kind of note real quick on that. You were talking about poolside power. It made me think of, uh, did you see Robert Newstrom's home run? Uh, oh, my night? God. That was a bomb. So Bowie pointed the Robert Newstrom for the Bowie Bay Sox, for those who don't know. The Bowie Twitter account pointed out that that would have been the furthest home run ever recorded at Camden Yards if it was hit at Camden Yards. Yeah, it would have hit the warehouse. It yeah. went it went 476 feet or something yeah, 470 something it was on sports center it was an absolute bomb we'll, we'll find it and we'll retweet it but yeah robert newstrom outfielder for the the bay Sox is a legitimate prospect he's probably not on the top like 30 list but he's he's a he can make the big leagues there's a shot there and he's in double a already so he's not too far away 
Um, okay, uh, and last thing we want to do is the guest that Oriole. Last week, the Oriole was drumroll Brad Bergeson. Thank you, Brady, oh, for baby. Brady reached out to us again. We appreciate the support. <laughs> this week's Oriole, uh, we will give you three facts, and then you just you know play along at home. You can guess while you're listening to us, or tweet at us, or DM us on Twitter, or whatever you'd like to do. Email us thewarehousepod at gmail.com. If you do those things, we can talk about. We can bring you up on the show. If you just played at home, you know, thanks for doing that. But we can't can't read your mind. Okay, so we'll give you three facts. The first fact about this week's Oriole is despite being an eight-time All-Star AL Rookie of the Year and having a stellar career, he never won an MVP award. Uh, the second clue, and this is a big one for me because uh, I worked for <laughs> Parks very and Recreation. Specific. Yeah, um, but he uh, donated and supported Baltimore City Parks and Recreation, um, and there is a uh, facility uh, by Parks and Recreation that is named after him. In high school, he was teammates with Ozzy Smith, the Wizard of Oz. Mm, so that kind of gives you the years there, because we didn't yeah. give, uh, you know, years he played with the Orioles, but being high school teammates with Ozzy Smith, you get an you idea. got the era. You got the era. Right. Yeah. So I like it. If people know who Ozzy Smith is. I think you know who Ozzy Smith If you're Hopefully. listening to a baseball podcast, yes. you know Ozzy Smith. Hopefully, yes. All right, think cool. backflips if you don't know. Yes. <laughs> google him i mean that's what these people do anyway you google this stuff right right yeah i guess you don't have to know you can go look it up yeah <laughs> we just we we ask you to not bing or google things if you're into that all right um all right Who well that's bings? Who hey, bings? look why do you feel the need to say that because this is what I'll talk about ask.com wasn't that a thing ask g yeah i think i think ask is owned by google now so it's part of I google believe. I look, I work in advertising and we run stuff on Bing. Okay. Not a lot, oh my God. but some stuff. <laughs> what a sad statement. I know we, we run stuff on Bing. But, hey, well, they also oh. own, they all, they own DuckDuckGo too. So people use DuckDuckGo. Nobody uses DuckDuckGo. <laughs> I will say, I think that's considerably less sad than you just giving into Google and letting Google run your life. Okay. I think that's considerably less sad. I say is there's a Google pixel sitting on the table in front of me. Exactly. I just and want to say I use Ecosia.org as my search engine, which plants oh trees, uh, uh, which plants trees. That's good. As are, are the search, search results good? Are the search results good? So I, ask him, I, I can't ask him what search engine Ecosia uses. I can't distinguish. I'm sure it's Google. Is it Google? I think they run it through Google. <laughs> I'm sure they do. But okay, then it's still better than Google itself. Okay, <laughs> at least trees are getting planted out of it. Anyway, look, some people are still using Alta Vista, which is like the old school search engine. OG. No, but you guys don't even know what Alta Vista is. I have no idea. <laughs> I think Yahoo bought them like a long oh time my ago. Guys, I lied to you. Ecosia's search results and search ads are powered by Microsoft Bing. Bing, baby. Eating my words. <laughs> <laughs> so Jesse uses Bing, basically. Yeah. Jesse uses Bing. What can I say? Yeah, He's a Bing. That's why, that's why I had to stand up for out. Bing. Okay. <laughs> Jesse uses Google products. We use Google sh- uh, documents to put together the outline every week. So I guess, don't yeah. let him fool you. Yeah. He also right. uses YouTube. Wow. 
Yeah. It's a Google product. Hey, I I I fight back where I can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he said I'm only a man. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm only living in the United States. So. <laughs> okay, uh, uh next week, what who do the Orioles got this week? They got the Indians for 3. Then they I'm sorry, Cleveland, we shouldn't say Indians. And yes. then they have an they off day. They are still the Indians this year. They are, but I think next week next year they'll be like the Spiders or something. I don't think that's been determined yet. Right. But even if they are, that doesn't mean we should acknowledge it. Okay, we should fine. just call them Cleveland. Cleveland, the Cleveland Baseball Club. Yeah. Uh, then they have an off day the on Monday. football team. <laughs> <laughs> they have an off day on Monday, and then they play two against the Mets. This is all a homestand. Um, so that's five games. Only five games of Orioles baseball this week, guys. Um, thoughts on performance? I've got – we're definitely going to take one against the Mets. Wow. I got one against the Indians. So let's go two and three. You just said it. <laughs> yeah. What? You said Indians. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Cleveland. <laughs> yes. It's complicated. Those guys. It's complicated. I, I think it's a big assumption to say we're definitely going to take one from the Mets because we just lost two in a row to the Mets. Uh, so Relax, right? I'm going <laughs> to say we're going to get one win out of this. Yeah, I don't want to be too negative, but I think one win is correct as well. But yeah. I, I think it comes in the Cleveland series, and I'll just take the John Means start because that's always easy. <laughs> uh, I, I will say, Tyler, we did correctly uh, take the over on .5 wins for uh, the week. You had set the bar yeah. at .5 wins, yeah. and we both uh, – maybe you too, Eli. I can't no, remember. I was noncommittal. I pled the fifth. Ah, okay, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, me and Tyler both successfully uh, predicted that the Orioles would win at least one game out of the past six that we've played. So it's astounding that it was even a question. Yeah, it's quite the achievement. Yeah, yeah. So, and we almost—I I sent a text out a couple of days ago before the Orioles uh, before the Orioles played their game against Minnesota after we had lost the four in a row. I said, "Hey." I mean, are you still taking the over on this on this point five? Uh, because, I said, yeah, I stood, I stood firm. But then the Orioles uh, were clutch and won two in a row. Shockingly, so, I know yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. So all right, well, hopefully more wins are this week because it's fun to talk about good baseball. Yeah. Um, maybe we won't need a silver lining segment every week <laughs> from here on out. Hopefully. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for listening. What you can do to support us is go on our various social media channels at the warehouse pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and give us a follow like and retweet and all that stuff. Our content, it helps us grow. Uh, you can go on the various podcast platform you prefer and subscribe to us and give us a rating. We are on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and pretty much everywhere you can find your audio entertainment. And um, yeah, you can also email the show, the warehouse pod at gmail.com. Um, Jesse, where can people follow you on the internet? Yeah, um, people are free to follow me uh, on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Juggernaut8678. That's J-U-G-G-E-R-N-A-U-T-8678. Thank you. And Eli, how about you? I am on Instagram at Ginzy55, and I'm on Twitter at Elijah Ginsberg. Very nice. And I am on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Ty Young. And I write over at Camden chat. All right, fellas. Well, that is all we got for this week. Thank you all again for listening until next time. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And this has been the warehouse podcast. Let's go. O's. <laughs>